Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast, featuring in-depth conversations with executives, leaders, influencers, and journalists in this dynamic, high-stakes industry. Hosted by Craig Pickett, founder of Northstar Group, the boutique executive search firm for the aerospace industry. You'll learn how top aerospace executives are developing their people, competing for talent, overcoming challenges, and adjusting to industry trends to drive growth and profits. And now, let's join your host, Greg Pickett. Hey, welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. As always, I'm Craig Pickett. Hey, today I am uh, really excited to have John Holmes with me. John is the uh, CEO of AAR Corporation. And as most of you know, AAR is uh, the leader in uh, third-party MRO services for commercial aircraft and DOD operators. Uh, revenues are uh, a little over $2 billion. They've got seven sites in North America and additional operations in uh, Asia and Europe. Um, AAR has uh, taken a, a strong lead in uh, the next generation of workforce development, aircraft services development, and uh, just helping the airlines and the OEMs take uh, aviation to the, uh, the new level. Next level, I should say. So uh, welcome, John. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Craig. Appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to us today. So uh, we got connected. I, I read your, your article. I believe it was in Forbes magazine a couple months yeah. ago. And you're really taking a strong lead in, uh, in workforce development, uh, making sure the, uh, the airlines and the aviation industry has the right skill sets for tomorrow. Talk about how you guys are uh, taking a lead in that a little bit. Well, thank you, and uh, you know, appreciate you taking the time to read the article. And um, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is something that it's been important to AAR for for a very long time. Uh, we've been around for over 60 years, and uh, we, over the last uh, 10 or 15 years, have really come a long way in uh, making a name for ourselves in the world of heavy maintenance. And we're the largest in the Americas and the third largest in the world for heavy maintenance. As you look at the number of uh, labor hours produced each year. And so workforce uh, development and recruitment has is, is, is always been important to us because, you know, we're independent, right? We're not part of an airline or part of an OEM. So we really have to, um, we've got to, uh, you know, we've got to make a name for ourselves in a different way out there. But, you know, things kind of kicked into high gear uh, a little over a year ago. And, uh, you know, we're, a, we're also a, a seasonal business because uh, during the summer, we're typically very quiet because the airlines, as you know, they've got all their aircraft operating and they're out there and they're, they're busy. And then in the fall, they, uh, they bring it back for maintenance. And that's when our hangars fill up. And so during the summer, we typically, you know, our workforce uh, decreases by a, a meaningful amount uh, due to the, to correspond with that lower volume. And then uh, in the fall, we go back into the market and, you know, hire hundreds of people across our uh, seven locations in North America. And what, what happened last year is when we went back into the market, uh, you know, the economy obviously is very strong, which is great. It's about the tightest labor market we've ever seen. And so when we went back into the market, we found it very, very challenging to find uh, uh, labor, uh, qualified labor for really the first time in, uh, in, in our history. And so we, we, uh, we took a serious look at this. And, you know, as we came to, you know, came to realize the macro trends are, are difficult. You've got a retiring workforce. You've got, um, uh, you know, at least where we are, the, the, the pay is different than you might see in an airline MRO or, or OEM. And so we had to figure out a way to, to get creative, to develop our own, I'll call it proprietary, uh, uh, you know, pipeline of, of labor into our hangars. 
And so that's when we launched a number of the programs that you would have read out in the Forbes article. Our uh, Eagle Career uh, Pathway um, program has been very successful. We've partnered with uh, five schools so far, and actually uh, six schools so far. And we uh, have a few more in the in the pipeline that we're that we're looking at. Um, and, uh, and and that's been a, a you know a really great success. And we're again really excited about the pipeline of people that we have there. But we've also launched a number of internal initiatives built around the company's values. We're really proud of the values that we have and the culture that we have. Um, and, and the idea is, you know, use the career pathway to get people introduced to AAR very early on in their career and then, um, and then hook them in and keep them with all of the other great things we do once, we're, once we've got them internal. Where do you see the biggest challenge? I mean, obviously, uh, A&P mechanics. You know, a lot of you know, uh, you know, a lot of skill sets need to be developed there, but you know, along the same lines too, and a lot of new materials being introduced to the industry. When you think about yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a long road. It can take a couple. Uh, it can take a couple years to become an A and P mechanic, and we have a very high percentage of A and P mechanics in our work sort workforce, higher than than most of our competitors, because we're we're looking for the highest quality people uh, to deliver highest quality process or prog- um, uh, results. And so, um, you know, in terms of the challenge, I'd say, number one, it's just finding the people in the markets that we operate in that meet our very high qualifications. And once we find them, uh, you know, getting them in the door and bringing them along uh, and, uh, and, and ultimately helping them get their A&P license. You know, a challenge, uh, a challenge is we also we can't compete dollar for dollar necessarily with uh, the airlines and the OEMs, to be very blunt. Uh, you know, they uh, many of them are unionized. They might offer flight benefits. There's there's other things that um, you know they can that, that they can offer that we can't just because of our independent nature. Where we do compete though is just creating a great place to work. Um, and you know whether it's tuition assistance again, whether helping with your 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 AMP license, um, you know flexible hours, uh, creating a, a you know just a very healthy and friendly work environment. Um, you know those are the areas where we compete. And you know, notwithstanding the pressures on the labor market, we're very excited about the fact that our retention, historically and even now in this um, in this this very tight market, is actually quite good. I like you said, I mentor some yeah. business school kids, uh, business students at uh, University of North Carolina Wilmington, and you know, they they are much smarter than I was when I was 22, 20, 21, wow. 21 years old. How are their you know, tech skills are coming into play now? Are you are you guys equally as impressed with what they're bringing to the market and helping shape the way you you know you as a company think down the you road? Know, it's interesting. We we've learned a lot about that over the last uh, the last year plus, and that's because historically we would go and we would we would really look for experienced uh, hires, and um, you know so you try to find somebody with five to ten years of experience and bring them in, and that was the primary source of our recruiting. Because of the type of labor market, because of these partnerships that we've launched with the schools, we're now going a lot earlier. Um, so we're working in high schools, we're working in colleges, and so we have a chance to assess the talent very early on. And I would agree with you. I think, uh, you know, by and large, we're really impressed. But we want to get people excited about careers in aviation. You know, there's a lot of things that smart kids can do. And I think making people aware of the type of career that you can have that you know, these jobs are, they're going to be around for a very long time. I mean, there's a lot of disruption in the world, but the need for a mechanic, an actual person to work on aircraft, uh, that's not going anywhere anytime, anytime soon. And we also, it's, it's been fun to open, uh, you know, some of these kids' eyes to the amount of money you can make. I mean, these are careers that pay very well. And, um, you know, again, you're working on aircraft, which is cool, and you do that in a good environment, which is cool. And 
um, you know, so far uh, we've got some really nice traction dipping down to the, the younger level. Uh, I, I was really proud of just to mention this. I was really proud that um, we we launched a, a program uh, at the end of last year and, and went live in April uh, here in Chicago. And we partnered with uh, at the time Mayor Emanuel. We partnered with Mayor Emanuel on the city colleges here in Chicago. And um, it's the first time we had done anything like this. It's a little bit different than the other career pathways programs because in this case uh, we were starting a school. Um, and in those cases, we're partnering with existing schools. So what we did in Chicago is there was a city college on the south side of Chicago called uh, Olive Harvey, and they were investing some money to develop a new um, transportation campus, but it was focused on uh, ground transportation. Uh, we worked with the mayor to get an additional focus on aviation. And AAR, we went out and we found an instructor. We wrote the curriculum. We uh, donated um, tooling and equipment and actually got some aircraft donated for the kids to work on. And, uh, and then ultimately we provide uh, scholarships. And I was really happy that we kicked it off in April. We graduated our first class about uh, two weeks ago. Almost all the kids that started in the class graduated and we're in the process of uh, trying to get as many of them on board as we can to AAR. And, and so that kind of organic effort, particularly in an area of Chicago that really needs uh, help in this regard uh, is something that we're really proud of. And we would look to potentially duplicate that in other cities as well in partnership with, uh, with city colleges. Yeah, that's got to be really exciting to a you know a kid, you know, you know high school kid, and that's uh, you know something I've always you know we've been talking about in Carolina for a long time is hey, do you bring shop class back to high school, um, and allow kids to get you know a little bit dirty, and learn yeah. things mechanical things, but yeah, that's gonna be exciting to a you know a kid in high school, sophomore maybe a sophomore junior to say hey, look when you graduate, if you get these skills, you know you're immediately making twenty twenty five bucks an hour. Exactly. Um, and the path is the path from there is, is blue skies ahead. That's right. That's right. And those jobs will be around a long time. And uh, we, um, you know, it's, you talk about kids. It's like I think about my six year old who's in uh, who's in kindergarten and he's in woodshop and he's playing with 3D printers and they're doing all this stuff. And, you know, that tactile work is uh, is very, very gratifying. Yeah, no, no doubt. So. No, it's, it's, it's exciting stuff. And it's the one thing that everybody, every conference I go to, everybody's talking about the workforce you know, labor shortage. And uh, and, we're, and and again, we view this, and I think you touched on it at the beginning, we view this, certainly it helps AAR. And as I mentioned, we want proprietary pipelines of talent wherever we can find them. And certainly that's a good thing. But at the end of the day, these partnerships with the schools that we're, we're starting are not just about AAR, but they're about the whole aviation industry. And we're going to need several hundred thousand, uh, 700,000 mechanics in the country to support the growing fleet and to deal with the, the, the upcoming you know, wave of retirements uh, over the next several years. And, you know, all of us in the industry need to, um, you need to be focused on this. And again, yeah, it's not just about, it's not just about going to be a pilot or working for an airline or working for a, a Collins Aerospace or a Boeing, et cetera. You know, there's this whole network of providers out there and the independents, and we're the largest among them. That, uh, that need access to this talent. And uh, we're very pleased to be leading that charge. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really good to see. I mean, uh, it's, it's just good to see somebody taking, you know, taking charge and, and leading, you know, leading yeah. the industry forward. So, hey, look, so you guys are about a $2 billion plus revenue company. You're a leader, you got it. You're a leader in MRO. Um, you know, just like we're talking about offline, your earnings are great. Growth is outstanding. Industry's changing. How do you see? How does see? How do you see consolidation? You know, new aircraft technology coming out. How's that affecting your business 
moving forward? Yeah, I think I mean all of those things are are on our minds. I highlight a couple a couple of elements as areas that are important to us as we think about the company. Um, you know, one, um, you know, the fleet of aircraft that exists today. You know, there's thousands and thousands of current generation 737s and A320s and 777s, etc. That you know are our bread and butter aircraft, and uh, those aircraft are going to be flying in operation for a long time. Uh, and so, from a kind of a base case scenario, we see, uh, and we had an investor day in New York last week where we gave some statistics in this regard, but we see the the, the fundamentals for, for that business uh, being very strong for a very long time. It does get exciting when you think about, uh, you know, the next generation of aircraft, um, you know, notwithstanding the current issues with the, with the MAX, but the A320neo, uh, certainly the 787, the A350, et cetera. And ultimately, as those aircraft mature and need maintenance, you know, we're we're counting on being in a position to, to support them. Um, the other area of the company that's, uh, that's exciting that we haven't talked about is uh, the work that we're doing for the government. And you know, we've, uh, we've won several billion dollars, and this was a big contributor to our earnings uh, last year. We've won several billion dollars of contracts with, uh, with the U.S. government as a prime, as a prime contractor uh, over the last uh, couple of years. And that's new for AAR. We've been a participant in that market in various ways for a long time. We had some government manufacturing when you may, we still do with some, uh, we manufacture pallets and shelters and containers that get sold to the government. But from a programmatic standpoint and a supply chain standpoint, uh, we've, we decided a few years ago that we were going to make the move from a subcontractor to a prime contractor. And we have been a participant on various programs as a subcontractor to some of the big primes like a Northrop Grumman, for example. And as a result of those roles, we really learned how to do a lot of interesting things. Um, and we were also learning a lot on the commercial side. And we felt that, you know, approaching uh, Washington or, or you know, whether it's the DOD or the Department of State, et cetera, uh, approaching them with a true commercial-based solution uh, was a unique offering. And I say that because many of the, the, the companies that we compete against with now as a prime contractor, they grew up as defense contractors. So they've existed in the government, you know, I'll call it cost plus environment where we came out of commercial and now we're truly the only ones out there applying commercial best practices, the government offerings. And, you know, the government world is a lot different than the commercial world. And we're we're, we're finding our way through that. But as uh, as I mentioned, you know, we've we've been very successful in the last few years of winning some some very significant prime contracts. And I'm excited about taking what we've learned on the commercial side and and bringing those solutions to the government. Well, you've got the so you 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 were your efforts on the KC10 program were were extensive, and yeah. still ongoing, I think, or no, not well, we. So yeah, that was a we were that was a program we were sub to to Northrop Grumman. Right. Uh, we played a critical role in that program. It was kind of one of those things where there were three different things that were being integrated, and in our view, we were performing the most complicated set of uh, tasks. And so that gave us the confidence to go out and say, well, if we can do it in this environment, we can do another environment. So the big programs that we've signed up in the last uh, couple of years are we're a prime contractor to support the, the Navy C-40, which is a 737 derivative aircraft. We do heavy maintenance for that aircraft. We also do um, heavy maintenance on the Navy's fleet of P-8, which is another 737 uh, air, uh, derivative aircraft. We last year began work on a very large program for the Department of State. The Department of State actually has an entire air wing. Not a lot of people know that. Um, and these are aircraft that operate in austere environments like Afghanistan and Iraq. 
and move diplomats around, where they outsource the entire operation of that fleet. And we are the prime contractor on that, on that uh, program. And so we provide the pilots, we provide the maintenance, we, uh, we operate the aircraft, of course. If they're going to go into a new location, we can actually build you know, runway, run, runways and infrastructure. We're really running this airline for the, the State Department. And, you know, that's a, that's a very complicated skill set. And we have uh, over 900 people on that program. And that's, so that's through uh, Airlift down in, is that Airlift down in Melbourne? It's, uh, it's out of our government programs business. Yeah, it originally okay. was part of Airlift, but we, uh, uh, we've migrated that over the last year. But, yeah. And then the other one that's exciting is that we also started last year as, as a prime contractor uh, to the U.S. Air Force uh, to maintain uh, landing gear. We have a great landing gear shop in Miami with incredible capability. And the Air Force selected us to provide landing gear support for over 800 aircraft in the, in the, for the U.S. Air Force. So that's a big contract. It's a complicated contract. There's a lot of logistics involved. And it was the first of its kind for the Air Force, and we were selected to, to be the prime contractor on that. So, you know, some real nice success recently. So you got, yeah, no, obviously, um, the, I knew you are doing the P-8s up in, uh, up in India, I believe, right? India, that's exactly right, yeah, exactly. And uh, that's, a, you know, that's a pretty neat airplane, and that fleet's, you know, that fleet's growing. Um, so you, you know, it is, so, yeah. But component repair and the landing gear, the landing gear is as equally as important as the, the heavy maintenance on, the, uh, on the, uh, the aircraft side of the house. That's right, that's right. What about you? Know, you know, as far as you know, the new technologies and you know, how you know, when you think about like the seven eighty seven, um, you know, the composites involved in that, the uh, the A three fifties, etc. You having to do you have to invest heavily to uh, to get new you know, capabilities to support those aircraft, or do you find that it's you know somewhat you know somewhat organically growing? Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly there's some tooling and training investment that will be uh, required. That's for sure, and we ultimately will do that in cooperation with the uh, with the OEMs. But yeah, certainly a, a composite aircraft is going to be maintained differently than than current aircraft. Um, you know, we typically AAR we start to get active in a fleet when it's at, when it's been out there for ten years or more, uh, when things are mature. Air, you know, the the, the technology is available, the inventory is available. That's when we really start to uh, to push to push into fleets, we've moved that up, um, you know, nicely over the last few years. For example, in our Power by the Hour programs, our component support programs on the commercial side, we support, for example, uh, uh, Hawaiian Air, Hawaiian Airlines a fleet of A320 Neos, uh, which is obviously a new generation aircraft, and that's the first time we've we supported an aircraft that's you know kind of brand new on the market uh, in a complicated supply chain program. So we're 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 proud of that and. And looking to do more on the component side, but going back to your question on um, on retain uh, on maintaining them in the hangars, yeah, that that work will be done differently uh, once those aircraft are, are ready for maintenance. The um, there was another article I read recently, maybe Wall Street Journal or something, was talking about how the airlines got to start thinking long term, and are taking a more proactive long term approach to their maintenance. Um, yeah. are, are you finding a uh, more appetite from them to lock in long-term service agreements? Absolutely. That's a great, that's a great question. Uh, you know, a couple of thoughts there. First, I think it's important that, um, you know, we highlight that AAR is the largest independent provider for what we, you know, for the things that we do. There's no other company in aviation that offers the heavy maintenance, that offers the parts support, that offers these integrated supply chain programs for both commercial and government customers, that's an independent. 
In other words, all the competitors that we have, and there's very few people that compete in all of those areas at once, but any of them that do are either the OEMs, uh, like an Airbus or a Boeing, or uh, part of an airline like a Lufthansa or a uh, Air France. And so the, our independence in that regard is very unique, and we believe in an in, in, in asset. And um, you know that I bring that up just to say that if we think about the airline customer base, it's very important to them, and we've got wonderful relationships and wonderful support with our customers. It's very important to them to have that independent solution available as an, op- as an option. It keeps the market for these aftermarket services very healthy. So that's one. Two, you know, with that in mind, we absolutely are seeing a longer-term view. And this actually came up at our investor day last week in New York. Uh, we talked about, you know, historically, if I think back, you know, a few years, and I'll use heavy maintenance as an example, it was very unusual to find a heavy maintenance contract that lasted more than one year. Uh, typically, the airlines would move those uh, aircraft around from provider to provider, and it was largely driven by the price that they, uh, that they could get. Now, price is still extremely important in that market, um, but the airlines are much more focused on longer-term agreements, three- to five-year agreements, to lock up the hangar slots so they know that they have a home for an aircraft. But that key, the key word there is home because – it, it, it means a lot to it means a lot to the airline. It means a lot to us if we get a long term agreement and our mechanics know the expectations of that air, airline. Uh, they know the expectation. They know they know the history of the aircraft. If you're working on uh, a fleet for three to five years, chances are you're going to see the same aircraft more than once. So you've got the history of what we of the work we performed on it and it can build from there. And ultimately, uh, that leads to better quality for the airline and better efficiency for us internally. And so, you know, that, that kind of shopping the market every year, that mentality is, you know, we see that dissipating and we see a lot more, to your point, long-term thinking on the part of our customers. Yeah, now going back to your DOD scenario, too, you think about the Navy and, you know, you've only got so much hangar space up in Indianapolis. Is, is the DOD is forward-thinking on that as well? I mean, are they willing to lock in long-term and compete for that hangar space? Or is yeah, that those, a little bit of a different game? Yeah, those contracts, uh, most of our uh, contracts with the DOD are long-term, uh, five or 10 years or, or more. Um, and, and yeah, they do think long-term. I think the other trend that's going on with the DOD is just more uh, outsourcing in general. And whether they're uh, you know, choosing to, uh, to have a third party like us perform heavy maintenance on the fleet, or buying used parts. I mean, that's something that we've been talking about for a long time. AAR is the largest supplier of used airframe and engine parts in the world. And, you know, we like to say that if, if the United States Air Force bought like a United or bought like a Delta, um, you know, there's billions and billions of dollars of, of savings there uh, if they were to employ more used part contents in their engine and airframe builds. And we're seeing, you know, signs that, 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 you know, there's been some awards in the last few years that would indicate that there's more openness to that. But we do see a lot of opportunity for savings for the government and certainly growth for us as a result of using more aftermarket parts content. Do you, uh, has that been a, uh, has that been a struggle? Just, uh, I mean, you know, you know with laws, I, I believe there were laws on books that required them to buy new parts for some reason. Are you, is that, how, how are you get, you're convincing them to, to make that shift? Well, I, I, it is, it's a gradual shift. And um, there have been some, like I said, some awards and some, um, some actions that have been taken that, you know, would suggest that the market, that the government is more open to that aftermarket content. 
And I think the story kind of tells itself when you go and say, hey, if you used 30 or 40 percent uh, aftermarket material in this engine build, you could save a million or two million dollars per overhaul on an engine. And it's not like, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of people conflate used parts and PMAs all the time. And PMA, of course, is the, the aftermarket part. So there's certainly room for that in the market, too. But PMA is a different part. It's certainly form, fit, and function, uh, uh, for, equivalent of form, fit, and function as designated by the FAA to, a, uh, to, a, to an OEM part. But in our case, we're not talking about PMAs. We're just talking about a re, uh, a, an OEM part that's just been recertified. And so these are relatively straightforward decisions for the, the, for the customers, the government, to make. Uh, it's just a matter of um, you know, telling the story and pointing out that the, 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 you know, that the savings are there. And, and also not only the savings, but that also the materials available. And that's really our core competency is being able to find aftermarket material uh, better than any of our competitors to actually supply it for the government so that they can realize the savings. Sure. No, I got you. How is the, uh, you know, uh, how is your relationships with the OEMs? Is it, you know, friendly? Is it a frenemy? I mean, everybody, it's such a, it's such a close industry. Um, you're obviously working with the OEMs and getting some licenses to repair. Yeah. And a lot of times you're competing against them on, you know, some used part markets. How do you, how do you manage that balance? No, I think you, I think you, you hit it, you hit it very well. You know, AR is such an interesting company because even though we're 2 billion, and there's a lot of other companies out there that are much bigger than us. We touch every player in the market, right? I mean, we uh, we box above our weight. And I think about the people that I'll speak to and any you know senior people, whether it's with the government or commercial airlines or cargo carriers or you know manufacturers, you name it. If I think about all the people that I come in in contact with uh, every week, it's really amazing that we um, that we that we have so much reach across the industry given our size. But you pointed it out. I mean, we're playing lots of different angles at any one time. And so we can be a partner to an OEM, we can be competing with them on a program. You know, by and large, the OEMs recognize the value that AAR places in the aviation aftermarket supply chain. And they realize that there are nooks and crannies of the aftermarket that they cannot reach themselves. And so there's really, a, there's a necessity for a company like AAR to exist, uh, to bring value to those, those corners um, and ultimately become an extension of the OEMs into the aftermarket. And so we've got some wonderful partnerships supporting our repair relationships. Uh, we've got some wonderful partnerships where we aggregate the spend from a particular airline because they want a nose to tail program and um, we, we do nose to tail programs. And that spend ultimately finds its way back to the OEMs either through direct pair spend, repair spend, or our buying piece part material from them to support work in our own shops. And then we also have a very large uh, new parts distribution business. So we work with companies like um, Unison, a unit of GE, or Eaton, um, or Northrop Grumman, uh, and others where we're a factory new parts distributor. And we, uh, we work very hard to displace competitive product in the market and help them grow their market share. Do you, uh, do you, yeah, do you maintain the relationships such that, hey, look, are they, are they coming to you to, uh, help them make their their equipment and parts better? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Um, with some of the, the we haven't really touched on this, but uh, because of what we do, whether we're doing heavy, heavy maintenance on a 1,000 aircraft a year or supporting over a 1,000 aircraft on power by the hour or um, managing, you know, tens of thousands of parts each month on repair for, for various customers, we collect a lot of data and we see a lot of what's going on in the aftermarket. 
And so that, that data, whether we share it directly or whether we use it to price things, is very good uh, for an OEM. And you know, I'll just give you an example. If we, through our aftermarket parts trading business, if we know that this many engines are going to come on the market as surplus and going to be torn down, or we know that there's a number of different aircraft that are going to be parted out, uh, that supply of material on the market would be very interesting to an OEM because it may ultimately impact how much they decide to build themselves and how they allocate floor space. And so, uh, you know, there's, a, there's again, a lot, of, a lot of data that we can provide in that regard. Yeah, so you guys, you know, so obviously the digital thing, the digital market is really, is, is starting to play, you know, uh, is starting to play a bigger and bigger role. In it, is, and, and it is, and we're, you know, we, I talked about this at our investor day last week, but we've got a number of different digital efforts that are designed to help sell the traditional businesses more effectively, but then also generate revenue on their own. And we launched our first software program here recently called Airvolution that helps airlines repair, uh, manage their, their repair spend. Um, and then we've got, uh, this, this won't sound like a novel idea, but believe me, it's novel in our world. We've got an online parts store uh, where you can fully transact and buy uh, new parts through our parts store. It's uh, one of the best options out there. And, you know, last year, uh, we, we, we saw, you know, out of $2 billion, it's, uh, we were happy with this. But in one year, we did $25 million of revenue through our digital channels. And to see that kind of result after having only been at this really for two years, we're excited about that and excited where it can, it can take us. But it's easy to get, you know, kind of go overboard on, on digital and, you know, talk about blockchain and all these other things that are out there. And we're certainly looking at that very carefully, but we're focused on very practical solutions that uh, can enhance the the stickiness of our revenue and, and the ease of transactions with our customers. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how all that, how all that plays out. And I hear, you know, I, you hear more and more about digital and data collection and, and at some point um, there's, there's some great benefit to it, but at some point, you know, where does it reach its, uh, its maximum? Hey, the airlines right. are, the airlines are making money now. Um, the industry they, they are. Yeah, really they healthy. are. What uh, wh- how, what do you see? And use your crystal ball. What what makes you really happy? What scares the heck out of you moving forward? Is there any uh, yeah, anything you see that 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 looks like really blue skies? And anything uh, anything you see that hey, look, we need to avoid. Well, you know, it's uh, it's I've been at AAR for almost eighteen years now, and I started at the company. Well, I accepted the job to come to the company the night of September 10th, 2001, and resigned my, my job the morning of 9-11. And to be at the casino, I joined AAR two weeks after that. And our revenues as a company basically went from $1 billion at the time down to about $600 million in, in less than nine months. Right. And so, you know, to go from an, an industry that was really, really struggling uh, when I joined it to where we are now has been a hell of a journey. And the, the fundamentals, as you point out, are still extremely strong, uh, both on the airline side. We had a few of our customers last week announce earnings, and you know we saw new records come out of uh, United and, and the Delta. Um, the OEMs, you know, United Technologies and, and Lockheed Martin, for example, they reported, I believe, just today, and they had, uh, they had great performance. So the performance out of the industry remains very strong. Uh, the backlog of aircraft to be delivered is, um, you know, at an all-time high, and yeah, I think it's I think it's a great time to be in aviation, and we are extremely well positioned in in all of our markets to continue to to grow. 
well, to outpace the growth. And, you know, AAR, we grew at 17% last year, which was, uh, you know, certainly more than the market. And I feel good about our ability to do that in the years to come. Do you see, uh, do you, see you guys adding some more capacity? You've got, uh, what, six Rockford Indy? Yeah, we've got seven facilities in, in North America. Um, I don't see us adding more floor space in North America. I think we've got, you know, you mentioned Indianapolis. Indianapolis alone is a 1.2 million square foot facility. Uh, we've got a lot of floor space in, um, in North America. Our constraint is not uh, capacity in the sense of facilities. Our constraint really going back to that labor issue is, uh, is labor. And, you know, Rockford, for example, which is a wonderful facility, uh, we're working very hard to build a sustainable workforce in Rockford, uh, which is just up the road from our headquarters here. And we'd like to, you know, we want to make that a success for, for a long time. So I think inside the walls that we have are, uh, in, at least in North America, you know, that, that's, we're, we're comfortable with that footprint. And we want to grow uh, inside that footprint. One. Two, as uh, we think about actual capacity expansion, I would see more of that happening overseas, uh, particularly in, in uh, Asia. We've got a joint venture in India, and we're working on building a facility over there with our, our partner. It's gone slower than we would have liked, but um, I, I think that's just the deal, and it's a long-term play. So whether we're a few months delayed now, I'm, I'm not as concerned. I'm, I'm, I'm more focused on uh, the long-term there. That's for heavy maintenance. But then I also see uh, in and around Asia opportunity for component repair as well. I don't think it's required to continue to grow over there because components you can ship, and we're pretty good at logistics, so we can manage that. Um, but I, I do think that over time, facilitizing Asia and bringing AAR's know-how inside of shops over there is something we'd like to do. That's uh, so. So you think it's you, you know India, Asia is where the growth comes from. Is Europe uh, is Europe pretty you know pretty flat for now? Yeah, we got we we have a we have a significant presence in Europe. If you if you look at our commercial business, uh, actually 40% of our commercial revenues come from outside the U.S. So we're already a pretty diversified company. And I think over time, you can see that reverse where the majority of the revenues are coming outside of the, the U.S. Um, Europe in particular, we've been in Europe for 40 plus years. Uh, we've got a great facility in Amsterdam where we do component repair. We've got uh, we've got a great program in the, in the U.K. Uh, we have our repair management business, uh, Aaronmar in the U.K., we have a uh, uh, and I've won a great program in the UK with the UK MOD where we support their fleet of AWAC uh, aircraft. We've got sales offices that have really talented teams in Paris and London, and uh, our, our footprint in air, our footprint in, in Europe is is very strong. It's a very competitive market, as I mentioned. Two of our biggest commercial competitors, Air France and Lufthansa Technique, are are headquartered there. So there's a lot of um, you know there's a lot of competition that's based there. But you know we um, uh, we we compete very effectively, and, and as I mentioned, you know we've got a very strong footprint in Europe. So last question: Does the does the uh, the consolidation in the industry? Um, do you see it coming more? Do you see it stabilizing? Do you see people starting to unwind a little bit of what they've done? Is it good, bad, and different for the industry? How do you how do you see it all playing out? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Certainly, we've gone through a lot of consolidation, um, and I think I think a certain amount of that is healthy. You've had several of these, you know, very very large mergers uh, announced of late, and I think your point is is it's really well taken. In as much as as some of these mega mergers get done, there could be things that fall out of those mergers that are very interesting to us, 
And certainly the OEMs are focused on the next generation platforms and supporting those platforms. And to the extent that you know, they want to exit certain uh, current generation or legacy platforms that, and use that floor, place, floor space for the next big thing, I think that uh, that will create opportunities for us in terms of aftermarket support. So, you know, again, we, uh, we watch all that very closely. Uh, we've got great relationships with a number of the big OEMs. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think ultimately that creates uh, opportunities for us. But, you know, again, I come back to the point that it's important to both the commercial and the government industry to have independent providers like AAR out there. And the customers want it, uh, they need it, and it keeps the market in a very, very healthy position. And, uh, you know, that's what, uh, uh, that's what we're focused on every day. Hey, John, that, no, that's awesome. Hey, um, you know, congratulations. I just, you know, like I said, I, I saw your, you know, was, you know, saw your earnings, you know, the, uh, the, the information you put out to your investors. Congratulations on all the success you've had, uh, you've had this year. Um, Great. Great. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. And uh, we're focused on doing that again. Yeah. No. Hey, look, uh, AIR is your stock ticker. Keep a close, <laughs> keep a close eye on it. And uh, it's, uh, it's all great. It's a great story. Thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you for really, thank you for taking the time. And we very much appreciate the interest.